Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. What's going on, internets? Hello. Oh, hey now. Hey now. Uh, do another one of these podcast things that we normally do. We travel around here, there, and the other things. We're hitting a little bit close to home. Well, new home for me. Um, I live in middle of nowhere, Buttsville, New Jersey, pretty much, Hot Dog Johnny Land, and not too far away is Hackettstown, and we have Manskirt Brewing. And I'm sitting down with the owner, Grand, Grand Chancellor, head brewer. Yeah, Grand Poobah. King I like shit, Poobah. King Shit of Fuck Mountain. That's one of my favorite Ooh, ones. Ooh, I'll um, take that. Yeah. Uh, I'd put that on a hat. <laughs> Joe Fisher of uh, Manskirt Brewing. What's going on, brother? Hey, not much, man. Just, uh, you know, drinking. Yeah? What are you drinking? I got a Brooklyn Sriracha Ace here. Oh, there you go. Really, really solid beer. God, I haven't had that in so long, man. It's, it's really like good. A, yeah, I've got one left. It's one of those, uh, you don't grab it that often. I'm not a big Sriracha Ace guy, but, I mean, Brooklyn don't mess around. They know what they're doing with beers. Yeah, yeah I mean, their beers are always, across the board, have been solid for me. Yeah. From the beginning. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about Garrett. Uh, we're here to talk about you. Oh, um, well. Well, how about that? Um, but, yeah, Manskirt Brewing, first things first. Hackettstown. Right. Are you from here? Not originally. I grew up on Staten Island. Uh, I'm a little New York boy, and I came out here, well, here, to New Jersey Wait, in 2000. Do we consider Staten Island New York? Is that, is that a rule? I, technically, it's in New York. Okay. Um, you wouldn't know it if you were there. I mean, you would now, because it's become Brooklyn. But no, I'm not bitter or anything. When I grew up there, Staten Island uh, was very much like Hackettstown. I grew up on the south end of Staten Island, Tottenville, for any Staten Islanders out there. Uh, it was very rural. A lot of horse farms, a lot of woods. I grew up uh, with my house backing to woods. So it's very much like where I live now. I'm, I'm living here in Hackettstown, a half mile from the brewery. So it's pretty nice. How'd you end up here? I'm sorry? How'd you end up here? Uh, I married a girl okay. who was from Sussex County, and uh, that was way back in 2001. So we moved out to Lake Opakong, and then we lived in Lebanon Township, and uh, things didn't end up working out. So now I'm living by myself here in Hackettstown. Okay. Uh, prerequisite origin story stuff for the brewery itself, because I want to cover a lot of that. Because you got you're one of the I'm not going to say rare people that go from home brewing to brewer. Pretty much every brewer almost certainly has home brewed before. But you right. did the route of being a home brewer and opening up your brewery, which is a little less common. Most right. people go out there, work in commercial breweries for a bit, and then open their own stuff. So when did you start home brewing? Like on, on the real? I started in 2008. Okay. And like everybody else, I started with kits. I started with extract. Uh, I was brewing on my stove until I had several boilovers, and then I moved outside onto a turkey fryer burner. And then when I got a new house, I ended up taking over the entire basement and building a 25-gallon all-electric system. I got myself a glycol chiller and a conical fermenter and a plate chiller. So I was basically operating a brewery out of my basement. 
So you went you went like hardcore into the homebrew yes. scene because a lot of people don't go to that level where they're dealing with glycol and conical fermenters and stuff that and like that. It's usually just you know pots, pans, right. a, a cooler, and a couple caraboys, and you're done. You know what I mean? So you yeah. took it to the nth level. Now, when you first started homebrewing in 2008, how long did it take you to go from like zero to batshit crazy <laughs> in your basement? That's a really good question. Uh, by 2012, I was thinking about opening a brewery. Okay. So it was somewhere between those two points. So I would say after about two years, I was uh, I was pretty serious. It had gone from hobby to passion to obsession. Okay, you know. And then, so you're talking about 2012 is when you're like, okay, I'm opening a brewery. Right. This shit is happening. And then, what is it about three years go by, and then you come, and then yes. you, you open the doors here at Manskirt. October 2015 was our opening month. October 3rd. Uh, so we are coming up on three years right now, which is super exciting, and I can't believe it's been three years. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting because I was making a ton of beer. I had a, an eight-tap kegerator in my basement, and I was making more beer than you know, any home brewer really should. And I have a friend, this guy, uh, Ben Walmer, who does pop-up dinners, and he was helping to get my beer out into the hands of people who don't know me, who had never seen my beer before, and they were all asking how they could buy it. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a good indicator that I'm making a decent product at that point. It's probably one of the worst things to deal with as a brewer, but especially when you're a home brewer, you're surrounded by essentially yes-men. And everybody's like, oh, this is delicious, this is delicious, and you don't really have a good litmus test of what's delicious and whatnot. So you send it out there, and you get good response from people. Right. That kind of kind of uh, you know gives you that nudge to kind of push forward. Yep. And much like the internet, that echo chamber <laughs> feedback can really influence your own opinion of your own beer. Yeah. So having it in the hands of people who don't know you, don't care about your feelings, uh, <laughs> that that's huge. That's tremendous. Now, step back a bit. When you actually start getting kind of full bore into the home brewing portion of the show, were you uh, were you experimenting with a bunch of different styles? Or because here at Manscrit, you're very focused on like the English side of things. You yes. know what I mean? Like yep. the uh, malt driven, little yeast driven stuff. Was that always like just a love from the get, or did you kind of when you drank beer? Is that what you drank when you were out, or is it just kind of you found your way while brewing and homebrew to go want to do that? It's totally an evolution. I started out my first beer that I ever made was an Irish Red, mm-hmm. you know, which is a super laid back malt forward beer, uh, which matches a lot with what I do here most of the time. But, you know, like every other home brewer and craft brewer nerd, it was IPAs for a while. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to find out just how high I could push the IBUs before it hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing weird crap like putting, roasting my own hazelnuts and putting them in a beer, which incidentally is the only beer I've ever poured down a drain. Um, to putting oysters in my beer. I made an oyster stout, which actually was fantastic. Um, but yeah, they, settling on English and German styles primarily, it just, it was the evolution of my palate more than anything else. It, uh, I got tired of big IPAs. I got kind of worn out on them. I still love them. I still drink them occasionally. You know, Stone's um, Arrogant Bastard, one of my favorite beers in the world. I was just drinking it the other day. Still, still way up there with my favorite beers. But it's not the kind of beer that I want to be drinking every day. It's not the kind of beer I want to focus on. I want to make the kind of beer that I want to come in here, go behind my bar, and draw myself a pint every single day. And that's that's what I like to drink. Well, let's talk to that. I mean, when you, just like anything in the, in the world, whether it be technology, um, you know what I mean, politics, whatever you want to call it, there's such a small window. It seems like everything gets exponentially faster and faster. And when you decide to open a brewery in 2012, 
the landscape's much different in 2015, oh, and it's infinitely different in 2018 now. Yes. So you decide to open a brewery, you decide to do the kind of Montford English style beers, and you're right on the cusp of the Hazebro hop thotty kind of just you know beer is more how it looks the the public's view of things yes, uh, as doubt. opposed to what it tastes like. How do you maneuver that? Root when everybody's erring on one side, moving towards one side so heavily, and they're like to the point where they probably be like, ah, I'm not a big fan of Manscrub, just not because they because they don't understand the beer. Say more, they just right. want one specific thing. Does it ever cause you to waver? You know what I mean? Be like, these are the beers I'm making. I want to do something a bit different, or just be like, stay the course because <laughs> good beer is good beer, and eventually people are going to come around. That's, That's a loaded question. This of early, course it but, is. Yeah. yeah. That's mostly how I feel, though. I, uh, you know, people like what they like. I will never. Uh, break somebody's chops for the kinds of beer that they like. You like New England IPAs? Have fun with those. I I tend to brew the kinds of beer that I like to drink. Mm-hmm. There is there is of course some um, consideration for people's tastes, yeah, and that sort of thing. But I don't know. I feel like for me personally, that competing in something like the New England IPA market is not smart for me. It's not a beer that I feel passionately about. It's not a beer that I have a lot of uh, skill brewing. I, I just don't think it would be good for me personally. You know, just, there are breweries out there that focus completely on them, and that's exactly what they should do. Yeah. You know, there are breweries that focus completely on double IPAs or breweries that are sour breweries. Everybody has something that they're passionate about and something that they do well. And I don't feel like chasing trends. Is uh, is the way to is the way towards longevity? You know, yeah. And it, it seems like it seems like a lot of people tend to confuse the lack of making a New England IPA with with not loving hops, and it's right. two totally separate things. Where Absolutely. so many people are like, oh, you just don't make those. You just you know you just like making your English beers and you don't love hops. You, you, like you're drinking a Sriracha Ace right now, which yes. is named after a hop. There's <laughs> so many hops that are in some of your beers, but you're going old school. You're going old school English. I'm assuming your Fuggles and your yeah, your Amy, and and like um, a bunch of the old sea hops and things like that, and trying to showcase those. But those so with those not being as sexy as they are, people tend to dismiss the hop forwardness of those because you're not delivering a specific kind of flavor profile that they. That they don't understand that they want. I want I'm right. phrasing it. I'm trying to phrase it in the right way because I feel like it's a matter of people. Once they get to the point where they're going to go out there and start to explore and enjoy different kinds of beers, they'll appreciate that. Right. Um, do you see the opposite? Do you do you do you go into those kind of beers, the the hazy IPAs? I'm sure you drink them. People bring in beers all the time. Do you do you do you find that kind of love in those kind of hops, or is it a little bit more the beer itself is a little bit too like just all fucking residual sugars and all kinds of crazy, like, uh, suspended bullshit. You know, it's hard to say. It's it's very beer-specific because the way that I like to drink a beer is is I'm looking for balance in the beer. If a beer is all, if it's a watery beer that's just, just hop tea, mm-hmm. that's not going to do yeah. it for me, even if it's a hop that I love, even if it's a hop that I feel passionately about. You give me a beer that's, uh, you know, that's a thin... American Pale Ale that's just a shitload of fuggles in there, I'm going to be sad about that. Yeah. But if you give me a hazy New England IPA that's well-balanced, it's fruity, it's juicy, it's got a good hop hit to it, maybe a little bit of bitterness, but not too much, I'm going to love that beer, you know? 
like Treehouse's beers. I mean, uh, their beers are awesome. I love their beers. I don't care that they're hazy New England IPAs. You know, a lot of a lot of the, and I know I'm probably going to offend a lot of people with this, but a lot of the reason that I feel myself and some other people shy away from those beers is that a lot of it isn't the beer itself. It's it's the New England IPA. You know what I mean? It's it, a lot of the popularity of it, I yeah. should say. You know, and I feel like the beers need to have substance. They need to stand on their own and not just be sold because they're a New England IPA, but be sold because they're a great beer. You know, why is Heady Topper so popular? It doesn't say anything about being a Hayes New England IPA on the can or on the yeah. label. It's just a goddamn solid beer, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of that was kind of like the long way around of, um, or the the straight directional way around where I was going to take a long way around. Question is. Is that when it comes down to in the end is is if you're making good beer really comes down to because there's like you know a lot of people poop on pumpkin beers right but I always say there's two kinds of pumpkin beers there's really good beers that happen to have pumpkin in them and then there's really shitty beers that happen to have pumpkin in them right. there's no it's not oh that's shitty because it has pumpkin in it it's shitty because it's a shitty beer it just happens to have these ingredients in with it and you're kind of touching on the same thing where it's like okay it's okay to go that route with your big hazy turbid whatever but it's all about kind of like you said balance there can be balance and chaos so you can have yeah. huge upfront crazy flavors but also have a certain amount of balance in there and the same goes with a lot of small beers like i'm sipped on your czech pilsner you're talking about one of the smaller beers you can pretty much have to drink out there right there's a nice balance between a sweet malt and those kind of old school germany sazi-esque kind of hops so when you're talking about people kind of gravitating towards it, you're talking about people that are into the New England style IPA because that's the kind of thing. Is it more because I, how do I rephrase it without me sounding like an asshole and trying to steer, <laughs> steer the conversation? It's, I believe it's more of uh, people don't understand um, flavor so much that they understand the most extreme kind of flavor. So, you know, big hops are two by four to the face, residual sugar, sweetness in the face. So you just right. have huge bittering, huge sweetness. They get it, and then that's all good. When you're talking about balance, it tends to get a little bit confusing. It tends to be a little bit, okay, I can't really tell you exactly what's going on with the beer. So it maybe becomes a little bit intimidating for a lot of the people that are relatively new into beer, which mm-hmm. is like 80% of the people into beer nowadays. Right. <laughs> like, how do you... As a brewery who strives on that balance, who strives on something. I mean, you make barley wine, so I'm not saying you just make small beers. Sure. I have a 13% uh, Saison on yeah. tap right now. <laughs> yes, you do. Right next to a 5% Saison, right. mind you very much. Um, like, how do you find a balance between those two? Because you're obviously going to do the bigger beers. Right. You know what I mean? But you're you're very much in the weeds with the smaller ones, too, in a good way. Not in a negative way. Um, in the weeds is a bad phrase. But um, <laughs> I was going to ask like, about that. How, how do you... How do you find a balance between the two, like riding that line between like chaos and then making those super balanced beers? So it's kind of like, I don't want that super in your face. Or is it just a matter of just making good beer? Am I just, I, I answer my own question? I think or, you kind of yeah. just answer your own question. Yeah. I just, you know, quality is always, for me, the most important thing. You know, if I'm going to say, you know, one more time, you know, <laughs> it just, if a beer is not, I, I'm not going to serve a beer if I don't feel that the quality is there. And that, that's always my o- number one thing. It's, finding a balance is hard. Like, I want to make sure that my flights are varied. I want to make sure that if, if you get a flight of beers, it's not four beers under the same color. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all of that th- enters into my head when I look at my tap list and I decide what to brew next. 
and really, it's just it's mostly what I want to drink. I, I, I know I've said that before, but that's kind of the long and short of it. I was thinking that our tap list looks a little bit light in heavy beers, uh, heavy alcohol-wise, which is why I made Fezzik. Uh, he's our 13% Saison. And you were talking about the 5% Saison that goes with it. That's Inigo. He's uh, his little brother. So I hope we have some Princess Bride fans listening. So we have Fezzik <laughs> and Inigo on tap. It's a podcast. I think you have to watch Princess Bride in order to subscribe to podcasts. It's, it's like almost like the caption. You have to answer a question about it. <laughs> it Prove that you're human. <laughs> yeah. But um, well, we'll talk about that. You're, you're, you know, you've said it multiple times already. It's a matter of balance. Is that something you still search for? within all your beers or was it something that took you a while to find you know what I mean as a home brewer going yes. up and scaling up into a big system like is it is it a constant struggle to find balance even when you feel like you made a good beer or is it more just you get there and you're like okay we got it let's move on to the next one it's I think it's a little of both when I was a home brewer it was more about pushing the boundaries to see what happened you know it was making the hoppiest beer I could possibly make and seeing what it tasted like. It was making a stout with as much roasted barley as I could palate. Yeah. You know, it, it's all about finding the edges of the envelope and even pushing past them. And uh, a lot of professional brewers are still doing that to this day. For me, it was a little different where after I pushed those boundaries and broke out of those envelopes, I kind of reined it back in to a place where everything was approachable. You know, I'm going to keep saying that. It's, I have to get out of that habit. I feel like today's beer drinker is getting a lot more educated. I feel like today's beer drinker knows a lot more about beer. Uh, they know a lot more about what they're looking for. I have a lot of people who come in and know what IBU stands for, which is super cool. And it's really cool to be able to get those people in and put my beer in their hands because they know what they're looking for, what they're drinking. But at the same time, craft beer is booming. Craft beer is huge. A lot of people want to become craft beer snobs, but yeah. don't know how. Yes. And they'll come in here and they'll say, hey, I've never been to a brewery before. You know, give me some beer. And I'll put four beers in their hands and I want them to enjoy all four of those beers. Maybe one of them will challenge them. Maybe one of them will be a big complex beer. Maybe one will be a sour. Uh, maybe one will be a huge double IPA. But for but by and large, I want them to taste those four beers and walk away with the impression that, hey, I love craft beer. You know what I mean? I, I totally know what you're talking about. Um, now, you were talking about a lot of people want to kind of uh, rush ahead and be a beer snob. There's so many people, new people in the beer and I think this is a lot of the beers that you're produced, not to kind of pigeonhole you again with the small English stuff. That's what you guys do, is that 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 running the running the gauntlet of of you know your 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 pale ale, your English pale ale to you know your shilling ale to your Scotch ale to running the gamut of those beers in smaller beers like that used to be kind of a rite of passage. When you got into beer, you just kind of experimented and you didn't get to the huge imperial stout or you didn't get to that huge crazy barley one because you were kind of poking around in the weeds. Again, there's using it properly, <laughs> not knowing what you're doing and, and, and eventually progressing to a point where you drank so many beers and then you get into Belgians and big, huge stuff like that. It seems like everybody skips that step of kind of wading around the waters and finding different things and just 
jumping right ahead to right. the queue to the to the line waiting and to the online razzle sales and doing all that kind of thing. Is there like almost like it's like you have to reverse educate, reverse regress, not regress, but um, reverse educate people when they come right. in. Right, like, I know what you're saying. walk in and say, I want an IPA and be like, well, this can this is an IPA, but it's not the IPA you know. Let's step back and try this and try that. How much education goes into the people that walk in here that, you know, you have other breweries around here. You have Zigmeister right down the street, Jersey right. Girl up there, which are, you know, they do a lot of, of stuff outside of hops, but they do a lot of hazy, hoppy stuff too. Yeah. Those people walk in looking for those beers how do you walk them through backwards? Being like, okay, this is where we're going with this, and how do you keep them kind of interested in that? That's always the challenge because those beers are not sexy. Those beers are not. They are sexy. You, most people well, think they're sexy. That's the thing. Those beers don't have the perception of being sexy. The the they don't have that reputation. You know, they're the steak, not the sizzle. Right. Yeah. Nice. I like that. So. I get a lot of people who come in and say, I don't like IPAs. And then I'll serve them my IPA and I'll say, listen, this is a, it's an English style IPA. It's eight and a half percent. It's still a big beer. It's got a ton of hops in it. Uh, It's dry hopped, but it's malt forward. It finishes dry, starts out sweet. The hops are not going to beat you over the head with their bitterness, but you're still going to experience that beautiful hoppy flavor there. Uh, They're progress hops, so it's going to give you mango fruit and they're going to taste this beer and they're like, wow. I've never, I've never had an IPA like this before. And that's the education part. Mm-hmm. And it's saying, listen, an IPA doesn't have to strip the enamel off your teeth. Or it doesn't have to be a super fruity haze bomb in order to be an IPA. There, there's a spectrum. There's an entire, there's a, a glorious spectrum of beers. I always think back to, I'm going to date myself here, the Robin Hood with Kevin Costner. Oh, yeah, yeah. When Morgan Freeman played the Moor. And uh, a little kid asked why God painted him black. And he said, because Allah loves wondrous variety. Yeah. And that's exactly what I think about when it comes to beer. I love wondrous variety. And IPAs run the gamut. And it's the same thing with my porter, my great porter. I call it the great porter because I feel like it's a great porter. It is super approachable. It's still got all those beautiful porter characteristics in there. It's got a lot of chocolate, a lot of uh, coffee, really nice hop character to it but it, it it's not cloying it's not heavy it finishes dry it's only five and a half percent and I get so many people who come in and say I hate dark beers and I put the porter in their hand and they say I love this beer and that sort of education is is I it's it it does it for me that's that's what makes this job for me that's what that's what excites me you know the porter is one of my favorite porters of all time, and I think because it, it, it's a very kind of homebrewy thing, people take their porter seriously in the homebrew community. <laughs> it seems like almost like they like you once you make a really good porter or a great porter. You should call it modest porter, by the way. Um, <laughs> it, it, it seems like one of those things where people like kind of hang their hat on that style for some reason. I don't know. Anyway, um, you're it, it, almost like you're talking about like people, whether it be food, whether it be music, whether it be art, whatever it is. People tend to pigeonhole themselves in the flavor when it comes to beer and be like, this is an IPA and this is what I think an IPA is and this is what I'm going to look for as right. opposed to being like, well, that's not it. You Again, talk about Morgan Freeman painting with a bunch of different colors and being uh, working with variety, kind of walking those people outside of their comfort zone and be like, well, yes, these are hops over here too and these are hops over here too and, right. and you, can, you can go outside your box and not be scared. 
and go into something that's a little bit more, I don't know, different. Maybe you won't like it as much, but at least you took that kind of chance. And it seems like that less people are doing it nowadays. Mm. Now, to kind of switch gears back to the kind of homebrew portion of the show, I was always curious about this because, like I said at the beginning, you... um, you kind of jumped into the brewery thing without having like a traditional go work at a brewery kind of background, right. correct? And you open your brewery; it's doing amazingly well. Um, I assume you can keep the lights open. I was able to quit my day job. There's, a, so, bunch of, there's a bunch of people in here every time I come <laughs> here. What's it like doing that in a brewing community? Like, as someone that jumps into a straight brewery, is there is there any kind of like I've always been curious. I don't even know the answer to that. Is there is it? Is, are you welcome with open open arms across it's the board? Actually, a really good question. It's. I've always been curious about that. So far, I haven't had. I haven't caught any kind of flack from other professional brewers. There has been nothing but support and open arms from the rest of the brewing community, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The only time I've ever heard anything negative is one of my customers actually came to me and said, "Joe, listen, I was at a bar, and I heard someone else talking about breweries." And they said, yeah, you know, I've been to a bunch of breweries in the state, and I was going to go to Manskirt, but, you know, he's just a basement brewer, so I'm just not going to go there. And I'm okay with that. That person probably wouldn't enjoy my beers, and, uh, you know, I'm okay with that. But also, at the same time, you have to be like a little bit kind of taken back by it and be like, everybody starts there. Yes. You know what I mean? Unless you're like... You know, crazy white collar, like super rich, like you're like, oh, I want to be a brewer, and then you're like, okay, here's your job at, uh, you know, we'll buy you a million dollar brewery, and then bring in a bunch of people to teach you how to do it and right. create a whatever. And I'm sure people have jumped ahead in a queue when it comes to that kind of thing, but everybody starts somewhere to to hear that and to know that it has to be out there. You know what I mean? And just yes. notice people out there and be like, well, I put in my time, I trained, I scrubbed kegs. I'm this sure. guy opens up a brewery, and then it's just he's doing it. You, you say you have no problem with it, but at the same time, you have to be like a little bit kind of like, eh, eh, you know, it, beer is one of those things where the proof in the pudding is in the tasting. Yeah. You come in here and you taste my beer and you put it up against anybody else's beers and you tell me how good it is. I know my beer is good. I taste my beer very critically. I taste a lot of other people's beers. I do a lot of drinking. Very critically. Yes. <laughs> and... I'm I'm my biggest critic of my beer. Anthony actually had to talk me out of dumping a beer, a batch of my beer down the drain because I thought it didn't measure up. And I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it you can gain your experience in many different ways. There are people who gain their experience by going to school. People who gain their experience by working at other professional breweries. I spent six years brewing in my basement, and I did a ton of research. I did a ton of reading. And a ton of practice. And at the scale I was working in my homebrew, I was doing 25-gallon batches. I have a plate chiller. I'm familiar with tri-clamps. I'm familiar with glycol systems. I'm familiar with conical fermenters. Really, it's just a matter of scale at that point. And I feel like, I, you know, based on my skill and my experience, that that was enough. And I, I feel like my beer stands up to it. I feel like my, my product speaks for itself. Now, all that being said, is there anything or a specific one or two points on either end of the spectrum that you wish you knew um, going, going in? into it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Be like, man, be like, oh, man, I wish I knew it. Because the, the question I'm going to follow this up with, and I'll just tell you now so it's not just one-sided, is 
what do you think you bring to the table that you feel like you weren't trained and you would have got you wouldn't have gotten there if you were classically trained right you know what i mean because there has to be the ebb and flow a yin and yang to that there has to be like well if i was classically trained i would have never gotten here right because i would have had fit in that box i do feel like there are a few things that i would have benefited from having worked <laughs> in another brewery cleaning is one thing clean in place of tanks something that I wasn't super familiar with. Uh, the first few times I did it, the tanks maybe weren't as clean as they could have been. Um, I, <laughs> I learned that one of my favorite memories, stories, I guess, was after... Oh, I love this song. After I had cleaned in place a tank, um, the next day I went to fill it with beer. And... Uh, I, I opened the tank and I, I was getting ready to sanitize the tank and I stuck my head in and it was like I got punched in the face. The smell in there was so bad, it was nauseating. And it turns out that I hadn't taken parts of the tank apart where bits of yeast and the previous beer were hiding. Yeah. And I had no idea at the time. I think every, anybody who's opened a growler that they didn't rinse, but they yes. thought was empty has got that smell before. Without a doubt. It's that exact <laughs> smell. And it's horrifying. And filled the entire tank. And, of course, I stuck my head in there and almost passed out. Um, but you're glad you stuck your head in there. I'm though. glad, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. For the sake of the beer. I'm yeah. very glad. So I, I learned that pretty quickly, you know, on the on the first few beers. And then after that, I did a bunch more research and reading. And You know, the Internet has been a huge boon for newer brewers like myself. It's amazing what a person can learn out there. There are forums specifically for professional brewers that there is no... There's no gateway to get into. You can just sign up. You know, anybody else can go and sign up for these forums. And you can ask professional brewers all the questions you want. And by and large, they're super helpful. I try to participate as much as I can and, and give back to the community. Um, but they were tremendous in getting me, getting me started. So cleaning's a big one. Things like moving beer from place to place and how to do that. You know, when you're talking about tanks at this scale... Oxygenation is something you always have to be on watch for. Making sure that your tanks are purged of oxygen before you move beer into them. Uh, kegging was also a little interesting. <laughs> was you know we don't use Cornelius kegs, we use Sankey kegs. So you need to have a special keg cleaner. You need to have a way to fill them, um, which is always interesting and exciting. I just did a YouTube video on that. And even now, I did a YouTube video talking about how I do keg filling. And I got a tremendous amount of feedback on my technique, which I thought was pretty solid. And I learned a ton of new things. And I've changed the way I do things based on the feedback that I've got from that. So it's, I'm still, I'm always learning. And uh, for, uh, just to touch on that real quick, if anybody's interested, you can always go to, is it, it's under Joe Fisher, right? The um, YouTube channel? The YouTube channel, yeah. Now you can go to youtube.com slash Brewing, yeah. and you can get right there. And uh, But you have, a, a like, not a complete journey, but you have, you can see the steps you took yes. to kind of open your brewery on there. What was it like kind of growing your brewery on YouTube while you're actually kind of, like, opening it? Like, it's so much fun. Yeah? I really, I love YouTube. I mean, I guess I'm a ham in front of the camera, so that helps a lot but being able to put my progress out there and put out my videos of what I've been up to and it, it's cool because even today I still get people who come into the brewery and say hey Joe I've seen you on YouTube and that it just it, it makes my day every single time that was actually the first comment I ever got from somebody it was my buddy 
who's like a homebrew to post to YouTube constantly. Like I came down here. This is like, um, I forgot what it was. I don't know if I met my wife. Uh, yeah, she lives down here. That's how I ended up down here. But I lived in Northeast PA and, and uh, I ended up grabbing a, I think it was when you first put the great porter in the cans maybe. And I brought it home. And he's like, oh, that, that's the YouTube. I know that guy from YouTube. You know what I mean? So, yeah, people are watching, man. It's a unique that's thing. That's so it's, awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is there anything specific about, like I said before, like is there anything specific you you feel like you do that you don't feel like you'd be able to do or an angle you yeah. do that you wouldn't have gotten to if you were classically trained at a brewery? I think there are kind of two things. One is the electric brewing system I use here. I'm a seven-barrel system, uh, which is what two hundred and seventeen gallons. Two hundred and twenty-seven gallons. Right. Yeah. Same. Yep. I've added some fermenters since then, yeah. but I haven't changed the actual brew house. And it's an electric system. There's no gas, no steam, nothing like that. We actually have heating elements in the tanks, just like a home hot water mm-hmm. heater. They're huge. Yeah. Uh, Sixty thousand watts in each tank. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I've got a two hundred amp panel coming in here. It's ridiculous. But that's something that I was so familiar with and so comfortable as a home brewer. I built my own electric 25-gallon system at home that it was such a natural transition. And there is a lot of prejudice out there against electric systems. A lot of professional brewers scoff at it. They say that it's not efficient. It'll cost you a ton of money. It'll scorch your beer. And I haven't had any of those problems. And I just I had such a really good experience with it as a home brewer that it was a natural progression to bring it to here to what I do. Uh, and uh oh, excuse me. You can go here. At this point, we take a little bit of a break. Joe needed to tend to some of the brewing equipment. Um, I took that time to actually grab a couple more of his beers. Ended up picking up a um, two saisons, like a thirteen percent saison and a five percent saison, and sit down and uh, we pick the conversation back up, uh, talking about those beers. There we go. Yeah, this is a. Uh... pretty fun right it's dangerous is what yeah. it is because you drink three of these and you're like you know what give me one of those and be like i'll drink five of those now because you're all used to this and then you're like ah i'm gonna dumpster and pack it down <laughs> how did that happen well did you use like same across the board yeast malt everything except for hops they're completely different hops uh this is a party guile brew so both of these beers came from the same grain bed Okay. So normally we would take the grain bed and add water to it, which extracts the starch. The heat activates enzymes. They convert those starches into sugars. And we take that sweet liquid, move it into the boil kettle, and then we rinse the grains to get the rest of the sugar off of them. And then we take that liquid, marry it with the first batch, and then we make beer from, uh, beer from it. This is called a party guile, which is an older technique where the we do the same thing, take the grain. This was like... 800, 900 pounds of grain. It was an obscene amount of grain for, for our system. And you add the water to it. You take the first runnings off. You have all the super sweet liquid. You make a beer from that. And then you add more water to rinse the grains, and then you make a second beer from that. So you get less of each, but two different beers. Which is, I mean, for for us non-fancy people it's called a second runnings beer yeah uh or it's it's pretty much i mean it's what when people out there if you're if you're a note you know if not then if you look at a lot of english beers you're talking about your scotch ales then you start seeing your shilling ales and they're basically your second or even third running beers because 
they needed potable drinking water at that point. So they yes. pretty much brewed everything they possibly could because they didn't want to die of dysentery like that glass you have up there. Um. Yeah, so with that game <laughs> that we we do have the uh, that game. Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail yeah. game, yes. <laughs> so that it's also interesting in that a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between a porter and a stout? And back in the day, there was only porter. But the first porter runnings, the first beer was very strong, so that was the stout porter. And then there was your regular porter and then your small porter after that. And then eventually stout and porter broke apart and became two completely separate beers. What did you, what yeast did you use in this? It's like a little bit of bubblegum vibes, but not really. And it's I use the same yeast in both beers. It's Seyfail BE 134, which is a Belgian strain of of yeast. And to bring this conversation full circle, that's the other thing that I got from my homebrewing career. I used almost exclusively dry yeast as a homebrewer. And now as a professional brewer, I've used nothing but dry yeast here. Okay. I use a one kilogram brick of dry yeast for a seven barrel batch. Which is a which is a funny thing, because there's this almost like a stigma. Again, it's like you have just like going from extract to to malt. It's like oh, you have to use your wet yeast. That's right. got to be like that's how cool people do it, you know. But with all these kind of crazy hazy hopped up protein riddled beers, you can't reuse yeast anymore so almost all these breweries that are making a lot of these big huge hazy beers as far as i know are just using like kind of like dry yeast from now on huh yeah that's the one thing i I, like i forget who was telling me that that it's just like not all of it but they mess with a lot because it's like it's not like you can like recover yeast from the beer at that point it's pretty much just hard garbage and you gotta flush it and stuff like that so i forget who was telling me that anyway huh I hadn't even considered that, but yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense because, yeah. like, I won't reuse the yeast from my Imperial Progress. Yeah, it's an eight and a half percent beer. There's, There's a too much buttload of hops in, in there. Yeah. I can't really put that in anything else. Yeah, you know. So uh, you're talking about we we covered you kind of getting into the game here. Oh, Manskirt, where did that come from? Just <laughs> uh, I, I forgot to totally ask that. That's the actually. second most common question I yeah. get. I have been wearing these Utilicilts since about 2001. A uh, friend For what of mine. Reason? Because I don't like pants. Well, that's the best reason I can think of. That's really long and short of it. Everybody asks me. A lot me of people it, who, do, who subscribe to that theory get thrown in jail because right. they're so running down the street half They need again. to find yeah. kilts. <laughs> there you go. The company that makes these kilts is Utila Kilts. They're a company out in Seattle. And a friend of mine, my friends Dan and Sarah, they're blacksmiths up in uh, upstate New York. And I've known them since time immemorial. And they introduced me to Utilicilts. Uh, I think Utilicilts actually started business in 2000. They're, they're pretty recent. And I bought my first kilt in 2001, which I'm still wearing today. And, uh, yeah, and it, it just kind of, like, became part of my character. I would always wear it whenever I could get a chance at parties, out to events, out to bars. And if you want attention from women, wear a kilt out to a bar. Dude, just you don't have to tell me, dude. You're calling. You're pro looking tip. to a passport carrying dual <laughs> citizenship from Scotland, man. Damn. Right now, yeah. So nice. I, I've, 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 I haven't worn a kilt myself before, but you know, I've been to funerals where a lot of people have worn kilts. You know what I mean? For legit reasons, you right. know. So I was always curious about that because I was like, here, you know, my whole family. I like, I have like, besides my brother and sisters, I have like three relatives in the whole states. All my whole family is from overseas. Most of them are from Scotland. So. Preacher and choir here, brother. Nice. <laughs> so you get, get the name Manskirt. You open up the brewery. You get right. it here. You're making what you want to make. Right. Let's talk about the city. What was it like opening here in Hackettstown? Because there are a couple of breweries. Was it like 
arms wide open? Was it yes. more? Hackstown has been amazing from the get go. Uh, we opened up in October 2015. Jersey Girl opened up, I think, in April May, and then Zigmeister opened up in like July of 2016. Was there any idea all these brewers are going to open? No, I mean, it's, it's funny because when. I first started doing construction, I had to get a permit, and to get the permit, I had to submit my plans to the town. And I walked over to the municipal building with plans in hand, and I handed them to the zoning officer. He says, oh, weird, I have these plans from this other brewery here. And he pulled out Zigmeister's plans. So neither of us had any idea the other was opening. It was just completely chance. It was completely random. It's probably one of the best things to happen. Oh my god. I mean, like a lot of a lot of people were like, oh, another brewery's going to open. That sucks. It'd be like, if two more breweries open around yes. here, you guys would be... And tra- you'd actually be in trouble. You wouldn't be able to make enough beer. That might be a problem. <laughs> right. But. It's cool because it's turned Hackettstown into a total destination. Yeah. And it's great for us because more people come to town. It's great for consumers because you get more variety. Uh, Matt over at Zigmeister, he and I are making. We we kind of we seem to have like a different beer philosophy. He's making. He has his Kolsch beer, is excellent. We were talking about doing a Kolsch Alt beer showdown at some point. That's another one of those styles that nobody knows about. No. It's such an unusual beer, and it was tremendously popular, and I just never made it again. It's an interesting thing, making beers a second time, especially unusual beers like an alt beer, and something like I made a California Common. If you've ever had Anchor Steam, Anchor Steam is a California Common. We can't call it a steam beer because Anchor trademarked it, and they aggressively defend their trademark. So, not that I'm bitter about that either. But anyway, we <laughs> a lot of our beers we will bring back a second time because there's a clamoring for it from our customers. And for some reason that I haven't quite figured out yet, it's never as popular the second time around. That's everything in life, though, man. Isn't it interesting? Yeah, you know, people just want, you know, it's like... You know, it's like that first, um, I was going to say rack a, rock a crack, but I have not smoked crack, but I've heard great things. <laughs> um, but it's, it's like, you know, your first love, your first kiss, your first uh, real delicious beer. Right. Um, you know, it, it's never the same. Um, but, you, but you have to power through it. You need to do the all a couple times. I mean, it's a perfect time of year. I mean, October is almost over, but right. uh, it's a perfect time of year to be throwing alt out there. You need to get out there and... Just make an alt and scoot it out in like three days. You can do oh, that, right? I got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've yeah. got a free tank. I'll just throw it in there real quick. It'll be fine. But you're saying, so Hackettstown was from the get-go. They were Hackettstown cool. Hackettstown was awesome. tremendously supportive right from the get-go. Both the, the municipality was amazing. The mayor was amazing. The, the Hackettstown Business Improvement District, super supportive right from the beginning. It, it's They're so business-friendly. And it's paid dividends both for us and for the town. We've seen a tremendous influx of new businesses, a lot of new faces showing up in town. It's been great for everybody. Well, let's go on the flip side. I mean, we're literally on the cusp of, you know, new legislation kind of passing here in New Jersey. New Jersey isn't isn't one of the, I was going to say, wasn't one of the easier states to open up a brewery. And it's probably one of the <laughs> hardest states out there right. um, to open up a brewery. And you're pretty much hamstrung from the get-go. And it's been right. that way for quite a while. It changed several years ago. Um, but they just passed new legislation that kind of prevents you guys from doing things that you want to do. Like, where where do you sit? Because there's brewers, breweries and brewers that sit on either end of yep, that. Without, without, without go as much as uh, as deep as you want to, as little light as you want to. But, like, how does that affect you? Not necessarily you'd be like, screw that legislation. You could say that if you want. But how does it affect you? It is a seven-barrel brew house in a relatively, you know, not small but big town. Where does it put you guys? This is a... 
a special, what do they call it? Not a special resolution. A spe- a special something. I don't know. I've had too many beers to think. Is it, is it an attachment to an existing piece of legislature? It's not actually a law. Okay. So there is a law on the books. There's a New Jersey statute 33.1, I think. And it defines exactly what a brewery, a limited brewery license is, which is what I have. Mm-hmm. So recently, the ABC director, uh, Mr. Ribble, 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 R-I-B-L-E, the ABC director, he came down with a, a set of rules that clarified the law because the law was kind of open-ended. It didn't talk about what we what we specifically could or couldn't do. It didn't talk about tours. It didn't it didn't talk about a lot of things. So this uh, this special ruling came down with a lot of rules, a lot of new information that we didn't specifically have before. I have a lot of complicated feelings about it. There are some good things in there. There are new resolutions that allow us to have off-site events, which we weren't allowed to do before, mm-hmm. which uh, wineries were allowed to do for a long time, and now breweries are allowed to do it, which is nice. So we have 12 off-site events per year. That now, how does, it, does that differ from being able to do beer festivals? Yes. A beer festival, like, for example, Big Brew Morristown that's coming up on October 6th, the organizer is a charity uh, a charity organization and they purchase our beer under their license and then sell the beer whereas this now allows us to exercise one of these 12 licenses or 12 permits I guess you call them and sell our beer somewhere so if there's like if the town is having some sort of event or a parade or something we can set up an area to serve our beer as long as it meets the state's requirements and sell our beer there at retail. Okay. So it's a difference for us between selling a wholesale keg to someone doing an event and selling an entire keg of pints at retail, which is a lot more profitable and a lot more useful for us. So yeah. it's, it's a nice thing to have. It, it gives us flexibility. It gives us uh, it let it lets us do more more things outside of the brewery. So that's pretty exciting. The Resolution also says that we can sell prepackaged snacks at the brewery, which is nice. We were never allowed to do that before. So I can sell chips, pretzels, that sort of thing in the brewery. Also very nice. There were a few negatives there. We cannot do more than 25 events per year. In-house. In-house. Things like yoga, paint and sip, trivia, anything. Which you guys do... We're doing. What? We do trivia twice a month, so that's twice twenty-four already. But that's just if you just did trivia, that, then right. you're, you, you know you blew your wad just on that. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because like we have Oktoberfest coming up this weekend, and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we would have to expend three of those events to do our Oktoberfest next year, which means that I'd have to cancel several of my trivia nights. Yeah. So it hobbles hobbles us a little bit in that way. There's also a a lot of language in the law pertaining to, not law, I'm sorry, a lot of language in this this special resolution. I still can't remember the name of it. Addendum? Eh, that's not it either. 
it's not technically a law, but the the director has unilateral authority to tell us to do whatever he wants. Okay. So it's that. <laughs> it's yeah. the director telling us how we need to run our business. Okay. Which is his right as uh, as director of the ABC. We are not... We have to tell them about private events. We have to register how many people are going to be there, what we're going to be doing. Uh, they, The ABC also has the right now to request... Is that for just private events or in-house events in general? No, private events. Okay. Like if you want to rent out my brewery yeah, for a bachelor party yeah. or something okay. like that. Okay. I have to register with the ABC beforehand. I have to provide them with a guest list. Uh, they have the right after the fact to ask me for information about the event, how much beer I sold, etc., etc., etc. So it did it did put some more onerous rules upon us. Um, most of the problem I think is the lack of parity with wineries and distilleries. A lot of the rules that came down are things that I think most of us knew were a problem like live sporting events on TV. They don't want us to have I kind of knew that that was a thing, so we never have TVs here. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I have complicated feelings about it because we are a brewery. We are a manufacturer, and the director of the ABC strongly feels that we should be a manufacturer and not a tasting room. At the same time, I chafe against the idea that the reason that that is is because the bar and restaurant lobby is so dead set against us doing these things but at the same time I say that I understand where they're coming from because their licenses are expensive in New Jersey yeah and very very hard to get so and that's and that's honestly the the, the long and short of it yes the it's, long it's, and short you of it. pay you pay five to ten grand I pay half a million to a million exactly why can why do you get to do the things that I get to do that's that's literally the and I can see that point of view at the same time breweries can only sell their own beer we cannot sell anybody else's beer. We can't sell liquor. We can't do a lot of the things that bars can do. Uh, so, you Nor know, would you want to. Exactly. But Nor all, would I but want to. But it's exactly. also being told what you can't do within reason. Right. The menu thing is the worst. Like, you can't have a piece of paper. I forgot about the menu thing. The menu thing is completely batshit insane. Right? Who does that benefit? Like, that... If you're the bar and restaurant lobby, why would you not want me to have your menus at my brewery? Yeah. That's the part I don't understand. Yeah. I can understand defending your license. I understand that. If I paid a million dollars for my license, I'd be pretty mad too. But menus? That boggles my mind. Yeah. And what we're talking about, for those that don't know, it's a bit, he can't house any menus in his brewery at all. Right. You know what I mean? Like You can't have a stack of paper menus going, hey, you want to eat something? Here's a menu. You can order from the local business down the street, and they will bring it to you. Or you can go get it. Either one. It's up to you. It's America. Right. Within reason, it's America. Eh. And uh, you can go get it for, and do whatever you want with. It, it, it's politics shrunk down to to just this industry as a right. whole. You know what I mean? It's like there's just reasonable people. Like we all, there, there's a lot of reasonable people out there. But it's like the the one end of the spectrum pulling so hard against the other end of the spectrum, it, it kind of leaves everybody else in the middle of the rope, kind of in their wake. In that, it's like, can't we just be logical about this? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, work together. Sure, not everybody's going to agree on everything, but it, 
It's got to be the worst. And, and it is. It's very difficult. And you belong to the New Jersey, the the the, the, the original Brewers Guild, not the newer one. Right. You know what I mean? Were you in the loop at all on either end of the spectrum in the guild as far as what was going on? How do you mean? Like you belong to the guild. Were they saying? Oh, this is what's happening with the law. What's your input on it? Yes, absolutely. We had proposed a draft of the of what we wanted, and then we got back a draft from the ABC of what it could have been, and we gave our feedback on that. And our board members were they said they had a seat at the table. There was uh, we argued our cause. We have lawyers working for us, and then the director just made his resolution. So we, we had input on it, but in the end, it was up to the director to just make his resolution and decide what he wanted. Which has got to be infinitely frustrating. Because, it's I mean, beyond I, frustrating. You won't say it, but I will. I would assume, if I was sitting in your seat, that, um, you know, who, you know, the companies that buy million-dollar liquor licenses probably have a little bit more sway with legislator and legislators. Without a doubt. Than a several brew house in downtown Hackettstown. So, right. it's, you know, when, when, when they give you a piece of paper and they push it across the table going, hey, here's our offer, and then you go, okay, push it back, here's our offer, and they go, yeah, we'll take like 5% of what you said and, and, and we'll give you that, and then you deal with it. It's got to be infinitely frustrating, especially really as a is. dude who quit his job who has a Keystone location in downtown Hackettstown. You know what I mean? It's not like you're off in the middle of nowhere just brewing beer in your basement like <laughs> yeah. that one brewer said you were doing. Um, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're trying to live liven a downtown that's pretty pretty good, good now for the reasons of the breweries that are being here. I just don't I'm just basically stabbing you with like 19 I appreciate all of that. Right now. It feels good. No, it really does. <laughs> but it, oh man, it's got to be the worst. It is. It's, it's tough. It's frustrating to be the David against the Goliath. And further frustrating is the splintering of the craft breweries in New Jersey where we can't even come together as a block of small breweries and agree on a path forward. It's it's very difficult and very frustrating. Because I would imagine if the if the, the restaurant association, whoever, I don't know what they're called, but the people that are on the liquor license side of things, the class C license, I think they're called, yeah, or whatever it is. Retail consumption license. Yeah. Them being the Goliath and you being David, they're so up in arms because they see themselves getting beaten by David. Right. That's why they're doing this. They're not doing this because they're bored. Without a doubt. You know what I mean? They're doing it because they see a foothold. Right. And it's, they want to protect it. It's the same reason that Miller Coors and Budweiser and InBev, why they make 13 different beers, because they just want to take up space on shelves and push us out. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same idea. In, which means you do have you do have a movement. And then to see not a unified front it's got to be frustrating because you're like, okay, we're making headway. We're doing something here. Right. You know what I mean? I know. It, it's it's one of those things where not everybody's going to think alike. I understand that. And that's why there's supposedly you know, a multi-party system when it comes to politics. But it's the same thing here where you start to see splintering and different sides winning over other sides. Right. And then you're kind of stuck. But, I mean, what do you see the future as? Do you, I mean, today you see it as bleak because right. it, we're hours removed. You know what I mean? But going forward, there has to be like, okay, let's step back, wipe the dust off, assess where we can go and what we can do, and just trudge forward. What are you going to do? Ah, screw it. I'm going to close my brewery. It's not going to happen, <laughs> That's dude. That's not a thing, no. Yeah. 
I feel like the outrage is going to die down. Right now, people are very reactionary. They're very stung by what happened. And there's a lot of immediate knee-jerk backlash, which is natural. And I don't even... I, I don't even not support it. I do support it in, the, in most cases. I feel like there's a little bit of naivete in some cases where we knew a lot of this was going to happen and some small breweries planned on it not happening, you know, and hung their hat on that, which is unfortunate. But it's it's hard to it's hard to relate to those guys coming from that position and being like, you know, you're ruining my business. We kind of knew all this, a lot of this stuff from the start. It's worse than we expected, no question, and we should absolutely fight for it to change. I, I, couldn't, I can't stress that enough. I feel like breweries in New Jersey are hobbled beyond reason. Mm-hmm. You almost has to be like a... Like a sadomasochist to open a brewery in Jersey. A little like, bit. Because yeah. you could just move to any other state. <laughs> That's the thing. When I first opened and I put together my business plan, I planned for New Jersey to roll back what we were allowed to do. I felt <laughs> living in New Jersey since 2000, I was prepared for them to screw me, basically. Yeah. I, and when this resolution came down, it sucks but I can't even say I'm entirely surprised by it. It's it's almost business as usual. And we should uh, we should fight against it, but uh, there's not a lot of surprise here, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's I'm, get off that bullshit. I'm sure that makes me the asshole here. No, but no, no, it's I, not. It's yeah. not. Because, honestly, it, it hits close to home. I mean, you, you know, you have, you know, employees, you have family, you have responsibilities yourself. Yes. And when someone's taking your ability to... To, to provide for you and your family, man. There's no way to not take it personally. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if you were like, yeah, it is what it is, I'd be like, you're crazy, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> so your reaction is spot on. You know what I mean? And I'm sure Mike off, you know what I mean? It would be a totally different conversation and would have a little bit of tone, different tone and tenor, a little bit more anger and stuff like that. And I get it, dude. And I didn't want to push you away, dude, down that road too much. But without that in mind, what was the future? Has your sh- future for man starts shifted because of that you know what I mean like right. you were so uh, like I imagine you're still you're still growing within the means even without that resolution you're you, you still have you're still well how am I trying to phrase it you have a vision for what you want to do right in the grand scheme of things eventually that these resolution or acts or whatever can affect you bottom line big time but right now has it is it affecting you right now in this moment it's not i don't have tvs here i don't do live music i do 24 events a year i do trivia yeah i kind of when i first opened the the person that i dealt with at the abc was pretty clear about what we could and couldn't do and i took that to heart and i assumed that going forward that's how things would be and so I never planned for those things. I have I run my tap room here and I concentrate on expanding my distribution because I feel like that is how a brewery will survive. And that's why they're that's where they're steering you too. They want you to Well do yes. That. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's true. 
it's complicated because there's no reason, there's absolutely no reason that a small brewery should not be able to survive just by running a tap room. Yeah. It's silly to say that they must just be a manufacturer. I mean, what's wrong with that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, laws being written in the 40s, that's what's wrong with that. I mean, there's that. (laughs) Three-tier system, where else you want to go with this one? (laughs) For me personally, though, I don't think it's a make-or-break thing for me. I have the luxury of being a little bigger than some of the small breweries. I have the luxury of having been in this for three years already before the resolution came down. And I have the the luxury of having planned for it. Yeah. Having assumed the worst and been ready to weather the worst. And and so, you know, I know it, it feels a little bit like hubris to say it, but I feel like we're going to be okay despite this change. Yeah, it's just other people who aren't as lucky. Right. To be and, in a position or, or have the four... Or, and or, while or I say f- that, I'm fully prepared to fight for those people yeah. and, and for those people's right to run a goddamn tap room because it's insane to say that we can't. It really is. What are you guys having to plan in the future, though, in general? Like, like, what is the next step for Mansker? Like, what are you doing? Are you putting in more bright tanks? Or are yes. you, like, are you expanding in other ways? Like, what what's the... What's the like? We talked about having bag treats, or are we gonna have haggis in a bag? Like, what's going on right now? <laughs> oh man, I would love haggis in a bag. <laughs> Is that a thing? Can it we get that? It sounds like a sexual euphemism. Like, like I, haggis I gave, chips. I gave him the the haggis in the bag, and he never called me again. You know, I don't know. I thought I performed it well. Uh, story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> so we did just put in another bright tank. It's funny you mentioned that. We're trying to do more loggers here. We're putting a logger on as a flagship ale, so we'll have that on year round. Our check pilsner. I'm trying to do more canning, more often, and more variety. What are you doing in cans now? You do the Grey Porter. We do the Grey Porter, of course. We do the Better Than Pants, our English Pale Ale. We do Imperial Progress, our double IPA, our English-style Imperial IPA. And we're going to be doing the Czech Pilsner as well. Those will be our core beers. Those will be our four flagship ales. uh, Mobile canning, I assume. We do mobile canning, yep. We don't have uh, the canning equipment here. It's it's big and expensive and yeah. messy, and it's easier just to pay somebody to come in and do the job. I'm hoping my plan in the future is to have the flagship line, those four core beers, and to do an under-the-kilt line. So we'll do smaller runs of our seasonal beers as well on top of that. So that's the plan. It's a, it's a little hard to coordinate being a, a small brewery and only having one, two... How many? Four fermenters. So it, it's a little tough to coordinate all of that, but I'm hoping that we can make that happen in the future. And you're still moving forward with the bottle program too? Like, you, like you've like you done, like, what, three or four We've done bottles. three bottles so far. That's really a super specialty thing. We did the first two bottles were the We Heavy, our We Bastard, and the Innkeeper Barley Wine. We aged those in oak barrels and then stuck them in 750 cork and cage bottles. And the second run was our fully regimental Baltic Porter. Really unusual style. Um, porter, porter that's made as a lager. Did you lager it? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. we did. We did correct. I know some people don't lager their Baltic Porters. Lager it. <laughs> he said snootily. Uh, I still have a His bunch of that has left. Flourished yes, right now. indeed. <laughs> we still have a bunch of that left. Such a good beer. I've been, we have it on tap now as well. I've been drinking the crap out of that beer. I want to do more nitro beers. I want to start a cask ale program. 
do real traditional Why, wait, English beers. How do you beers. not have a cast program, even if it's just the end of the bar cast? That doesn't even make sense. The beers that you have, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know. It just dawned on me that you... I've never walked in here and, not, and seen one. I know. Well, the to-do cast gals well is a completely different uh, discipline, I guess. It requires a lot of knowledge. It requires a lot of uh, equipment. I'd have to buy firkins and beer engines, which are also very expensive. And if I can't do it right, if I can't do it well, I'm not going to do it at all. So I'm working on ways to bring that out and do it properly. So we're getting there. A little at a time. Get there, man. We've been working on a lot of improvements to the tap room, as I'm sure you've seen. We did uh, ceiling. We did new murals. I'm working on the vault. I did a lot of cleanup today. A lot of things are going on behind the scenes here that take a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort. So that slows down things like wanting to do my cask program. But we'll get there. Nah, it's one of those things where beer, like anything else, is like, it's all sick, like old man. People are into what they're into. And eventually, if you don't waver, if you do what you do and you make the beers that you love, which is the more English-based stuff, eventually the the hip is going to intersect with what you do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm wearing a Bond Brewing shirt. They're out of out of Bethlehem. They pretty much just make English-based beers. The English Milds and, and all kinds of, like, you know, Montford English-based stuff and 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 much the same way it's eventually one day you know the line waiters and the neck beards and all those oh, people are gonna are gonna wait in line for 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 your special bitter right that's your uh, best um, bitter best actually, bitter yeah. that's what it is they'll wait in line for that and then um you'll be like holy shit <laughs> remember that time it. when yeah, that law right. came down and we thought we we're all doom and gloom and everything was gonna be screwed and but uh, <laughs> but yeah if people uh, if people want to find you right how do they do that both digitally and Literally. Digitally is, is pretty easy. We're manscurbrewing.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Untapped, all our Mansker Brew. Uh, physically, we're at 144 Main Street here in Hackettstown. You can get me at joe at manscurbrewing.com. Send me an email. I answer all of my emails. I love to hear from people. I love to hear from homebrewers and talk shop. It always excites me. Yeah. Uh, I love he has to a homebrew he- section on his website. There is indeed, which desperately needs to be updated there's a lot of very outdated links there. there but it's still there it is still there yeah it's i always love getting people you ever in here have people are, come in and brew with you like yes people like i have brewers? yep absolutely and a couple of times so uh, if if you're interested just show up in the door with a grain of bag of malt just have it. it on your shoulder listen we brew on tuesdays just <laughs> show up at the front this is going to be great oh, just okay. show up at the front door bring coffee and donuts and we'll all be friends it'll be awesome <laughs> Oh no, I, I'm really, honestly, I'm always happy to share what I've learned over the years. I stand on the shoulders of all the people who post on homebrewtalk.com and probrewer.com. The, those people are what made me the brewer that I am today. Those people are who got me here, and I don't forget that, and I want to give back to them whenever I can. It's awesome, dude. Thanks for the conversation, brother. Pleasure's all mine. I appreciate it. Manskirt. Like I said, like he said, downtown Hackettstown. Check him out, Manskirt in Manskirtbrew.com. It's all brew, not brewing. Uh, the website is Manskirt Brewing. Uh, everything in Manskirt. But all brew. of all of my ats are at Manskirt Brew. If you have any questions, you can email us massivebeers at gmail.com or send it to Joe. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed the talk. If you have any questions, send them over. Um, rate, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And um, 
make a trip down to Hackettstown. There's a couple good breweries you can check out here. Have a good day. Drink some good beers, and there you go. Talk to you next time. Cheers.